0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Benson.
1: Alright, as I said, we are uh, privileged and blessed to have Rob and his family from Snowbird with us. For those of you that don't know, Snowbird is the camp that Lauren and I have worked at. It's where we met. Um, It's also where Jessica spent her summer this past summer. Um, So Snowbird is uh, an important part of our life as far as a lot of the discipleship that's happened um, in mine and Lauren's life, um, but it's also an important part of our missions here at this church. As we've embraced supporting several of the families that, that work and serve at Snowbird, and we shared that with you a couple of weeks ago. And um, so we're spending time praying for them and praying for their ministry. So we were privileged to have Rob and his family be able to come down here today, and Rob's going to share the word with us today. Rob is on staff at Snowbird. He is also an elder. ...at the house church at Snowbird um, and does a lot of the filling in for Brody when Brody can't be there to teach. Especially during the summertime when Brody is um, really busy with camp, Rob takes upon the the teaching role at the house church. And so Rob teaches throughout the summer at the house church to give Brody a break and does a lot of the teaching at Snowbird during the summer for breakout sessions and that type of thing. So um, Rob's also uh, my best friend. We room together at Liberty. And so um, we've been friends now for, for many years, uh, it's starting to become many years, I guess, um, since I guess about 2002, 2003. So we're excited to have him, and he's going to come down.
0: Hello. That's really cool being here, I think just getting to hear, just talking to Adam, and we, we talk pretty regular, and uh, just as everything was coming together, the Lord was putting things together in his thoughts, and um, it's just awesome to, to stand here, you know, see y'all meeting as a church, really cool. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to speak out of the book of Hebrews, which, I'm going to try not to walk around too much, but how's it, is this pretty good, pick it picking up pretty hey, good? Okay. <laughs> you just, if I start going too far, just... Yeah, there you go. Um, I've been going through the book of Hebrews now, personally, for, I guess, three years. I I took a course on it um, in seminary. It's a really good overview. And just during that time, just really fell in love with the book. And so I've been just going through. I'm in chapter six, um, just in my personal time, just uh, devotional time with the Lord. So I'm working through that. Um, I've, I've got no idea what's happening there in chapter 6, but uh, but I'm enjoying struggling through it. And I guess what's been so overwhelming to me, and, and one of the reasons why it, it's been three years and I'm only halfway through the book, is just, um, and this may be cheesy, but it's just the way that my mind thinks about it is, it's as if, uh, you know when you take a prism? You know what a prism is? Or like a crystal thingy? And uh, you know how it, You shine light through it, it'll refract that light. That's the science word. And uh, it'll refract that light. And, you know, you can just send light through it and, you know, shine on the wall or whatever, and you'll get all these different colors and be able to appreciate the beauty of, you know, what really you take for granted, just the light that we use to see. Um, And for me, the book of Hebrews has kind of done that with Christ, where um, I guess it's just broken it down into so many... Just beautiful ways to stop and kind of time out and appreciate different aspects of who Christ is and, and how Christ um, functions as our as our Savior and the, and the things that He's done um, for His church. You know, whether it's as seeing Christ as the great Prophet who brings the one true revelation from God, um, and so that He's better than all the the previous revelation. Not that it was bad, but it's just Fuller and greater to the person of Christ or seeing Christ as this victorious king who comes in and as this true man vanquishes forever our our enemy of Satan and death and is triumphant over that. Um, And then now what we're going to talk about this morning is seeing Christ as high priest and and just being able to kind of time out and appreciate and, and stop and just look at this one angle of seeing Christ and really try to to um, see it for all its beauty and, and worth and value uh, for the believer then to be humbled by that but then to be motivated to pursue Christ in a deeper, more faithful way. Which is really the the whole theme of the book of Hebrews is that Christ is better, right? Tyson mentioned that this morning how Christ is better. He's better than everything. And so it exalts the person of christ so that then we will remain faithful to the end um there's so many encourage encouragements and warnings throughout the book of hebrews for us to hold fast to hold firm to remain faithful um and, and and he does this by by exalting christ that the idea is that we as believers will pursue christ faithfully to the end if we would just see him for who he really is so this morning Let's just look at let's just look at Christ. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start. And this will be a little different, a little different for me, and, and probably different for you. I, I won't just be working through one passage, but kind of going throughout um, the Book of Hebrews because it really at this point picks up and becomes the dominant um, topic for the rest of the book. So I'm gonna be kind of jumping around and looking at different places in Scripture where He talks about this. But uh, to begin with, we'll be in Chapter Four verse 15 or 14 following Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest is chosen chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with the same weaknesses because of this. He is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Father God, again, just want to to pause and um, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love that would call us to be a people, to be your church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your amazing humility and sacrifice thank you for your victory God thank you for speaking to us in a way that we could understand you um, and I pray that this morning that that, this, that the purpose of this letter would be real in our lives God that we'd be humbled before you that we'd be undone God but that we would be able to draw near to you and because of that we would be more faithful in the way that we live our lives God that we would persevere faithful to the end and that, you'd, uh, that you'd hold us tight this in christ's name amen all right i mean it's fascinating the the time out and think of how god has chosen how god has chosen to reveal himself just in human history that he and oftentimes god is he uses uh known constructs he uses things that were humans are familiar with to speak into to reveal himself right um it does this in the Old Testament, you see it so much with the nation of Israel that even, you know, the idea of kingship, the idea of kingship was already around and established on the planet, and God enters into that and begins to reveal himself as king. You know, He uses things like shepherds and um, on and on, right? That he, he speaks to us in ways that we can understand. And it's fascinating then to see how God has sets up the Jews' system of religion their system of understanding how to approach him, he, he puts this whole elaborate system in place so that we can know him and so that they can know him and, and know things that are true about God's character and nature. But ultimately, what this is doing is, is pointing towards Christ. It's, it's setting the stage so that we can best understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so, and looking at Christ as our high priest, we... We need to see, to be able to understand this comparison that the writer of Hebrews makes, because he makes a comparison to the high priest of the Old Testament, but then he's also going to make a contrast. He's going to contrast Christ to those high priests, because he is obviously distinctly different than the high priest of Israel. But he says this in chapter 5, read these verses again. For every high priest chosen from among men... Is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. So, when God is putting together the system of religion so that he can reveal himself to his people and his grace and his mercy, he, he you know he gives Moses the design for the temple, the way the temple would be built. Um That, you know, for at at the moment, it would be the tabernacle that they would wander around with in the wilderness that would have, you know, a place where um, the people could come close, but only so far. Right. Um, Because then there was a, a curtain that separated the people from where the priest would go into work to make sacrifices on their behalf to mediate between the Jews. And Yahweh, they they could go in there, and the priests could make sacrifices. But then there was another curtain, right, where only the the high priest could go in, and he could only go in once a year into the holy of holies. Right, remember in there that the main um, uh, artifact was the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that where the uh, the tablets of the law had been placed inside of there, Aaron's Buds, some pieces of manna, and in that ark, there was on the cover what they called the mercy seat. Remember that? And there was two cherubim, two golden angels with their wings facing each other. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones of the, uh, what's Raiders, the, of the Lost Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you haven't, shame on you. This afternoon, you should watch Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but yeah, and so that was in the, the Holy of Holies. And what, what would, the idea there was that God would, was dwelling with his people. And he was dwelling with them that his presence, his Shekinah glory, his manifest presence would be in the Holy of Holies hovering over the mercy seat above where the, the law was inside of the ark. Now, but he's dwelling with his people. God is being gracious and he's revealing himself. But there's still a great distance that has to be kept. Right? Somebody could only come in there once a year, and it had to be the high priest who had to have a certain lineage, who had to have a certain qualifications and go through certain rites and cleansings to be able to do that once a year on behalf of the people, to make atonement for their sins, to, to bring sacrifice to, to atone for their sins. You know? And then there was other Levites who could come a little bit closer, right? They could come into that first section and daily make sacrifices continually make sacrifices every day, offer things to try to appease God and to to satisfy his wrath or just to worship him. And then the Jews could come a little bit closer, right, to, to be outside of it, to bring their sacrifices to hand off to the high priest. But then, you know, say you're a Gentile, then you're really far off, right? And so there's all these degrees of separation, Okay, where God's saying, I'm coming as close as I can, but because of our sinfulness, there's these veils that separate us. Okay, but for the high priest, this Jew from the tribe of Levi, every year he'd have the the responsibility to go into the holy of holies to make um, this one big sacrifice. Let's read about it in Leviticus 19 or 16, 16, yeah. I want to read through this. Uh, I think it's just really important to understand as we move forward. I think as Adam was uh, speaking before the break and, and just talking about how continual this would be, and the writer of Hebrews talks about this. He says, you know, there's there's never any confidence in the system, there was just a reminder, a continual reminder of sin, of sin. So daily, you know, as people would bring sacrifices, but then once a year when it didn't matter where you lived, you, you needed to come to this one place to have your sins right. atoned for, or at least to have that picture, you know, your family would travel, it was all centered around this one day, this day of atonement. So this is the Lord's instructions to Moses. Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before Yahweh and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come to me at any time into the holy place in the veil. Do you remember what he's talking about there? I don't know. I can never remember. I don't know if it's I can't remember, but I can't pronounce Aaron's son's name. Their names, but uh, do you remember what happens? They go in, and it says that they offer strange, uh, a strange sacrifice, strange fire. Yeah, and what happens to them? Right? They're consumed in the presence. That was my best consumption noise. Sorry. Um, They're consumed in the presence of God. They're killed. These are Aaron's sons. Okay. I mean, and it doesn't even go into detail. I I mean, I've never studied in depth, but it doesn't seem to really explain why their fire was profane or unacceptable, and, and God consumes them, consumes them, okay? So now God, Yahweh, is giving Moses instructions for Aaron. So try to, it's so difficult, it's difficult for me to do, but try to let's try to put ourselves in Aaron's shoes here for a second, okay? His sons have been consumed by the holiness of Yahweh, and now he's got to go back in there. So he's getting instructions about that. Okay, tell Aaron your brother not to come, come any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarments on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban these are the holy garments he shall bathe his body in water and put them on and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burn offering and Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats, set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Ezel, or uh, the scapegoat. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Ezel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and shall bring it inside the veil, And put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Okay, and then it just goes on. just goes on. So I want to try to stop and appreciate what's going on here. What... If we're going to understand that Christ is our high priest, let's, let's try to appreciate what this looked like. The, the original audience that the writer of Hebrews is talking to, I mean, they, they would get this. They would connect with it right away. And, okay, so every every year, and it talks about the cleansing and the, the garments that Aaron would have to wear. And, and the Lord keeps saying to him, tell Aaron to do it this way so that what? He die. So that he doesn't die, okay? I mean, okay. So, cleansing rites, certain types of clothes, come in, make sacrifice for yourself and for your family, okay? He's going to take blood, he's going to kill this innocent animal, go inside and make sacrifice for himself. Then he's going to do it again for the people. So, let's just think about Aaron as, as the high priest right here. I mean, think about how he, and then subsequently, you know, all the high priests that would follow. I think it, I think it then became tradition that it would be a different high priest Every year, uh, you know, we see that when uh, Jesus, um, his birth is announced to Zechariah or Zechariah? Zechariah. John the Baptist's dad, remember, the lot fell on him to be high priest that year. And he goes in and that's when he finds out that his wife is going to have a baby. But uh, so every year this high priest would have to go in and just think about coming in behind the veil, entering into the veil. I mean, honestly, just how fearful that would be. I mean, just, I'm sure it was a privilege, uh, they, they saw it as a privilege, and they were honored by it. But, I mean, think about how, what would be going through Aaron's mind that next year when he had to walk in there, right? Don't come, in, don't come to me at any time so that you might not die, and do it this way so that you might not die. I mean, can you imagine as he's, he's, he's parting the veil and thinking about his sons that were consumed, right? His sons who I'm sure he, he loved as their father that they were consumed in the presence of the Lord. Think about the, the manner in which you would enter in. What, what fear? I mean, just, I mean, body trembling fear, right? Thinking about every step, every movement, trying not to think anything but good thoughts, right? And to take the blood and, and to sprinkle it. And then, I don't know if they backed out, but, I mean, turn around and, and you go back out again. Okay, now for the people. Going again. and get out. I mean, you're not, you're just, you're hoping that what you're doing is, is acceptable before the Lord. I can't imagine going in there. I mean, to approach the ark where some priest, do you remember the story with uh, Joshua and, and the, the ark goes to fall and one of the priests like stops it from falling and the Lord strikes him dead because he touched the ark. I mean, this is serious stuff. The Lord has deemed to be holy. And God is so holy that he's a consuming fire that, I mean, people die because of their sinfulness just by being in proximity to him. I mean, the fear... Can you imagine getting in there and then, for me, the scariest part, I think, would be leaving. Would be, like, turning to walk out. That, to me, would be the scariest part. Kind of like... I don't know if you ever... Do you remember being a kid? Maggie, do you remember being a kid? (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, I I remember being a kid, and to me, like, I mean, wake up in the middle of the night and have to go to the bathroom. There's two things that scared me. Number one thing that scared me was just putting my foot on the ground because I was convinced that gremlins lived underneath my bed, most because I saw gremlins when I was too young, and because one night I'm pretty sure my sheets got pulled down underneath my bed. And I I gave them more because I thought the gremlins must be cold. So but they lived there right there. Anyway, so that was the scary part, like actually putting my foot on the floor and then going. And then the other scary part was doing my business and then having to get back to my bedroom. And I would try to walk, but after about a, a step, I'm, I was in full sprint and then, like, diving into my bed. So the grandma's going to get me on the way in because they probably woke up and mad because they missed me on the way out. You know, those were just that, and that feeling like running down the hall. And, and feeling like something's about to get you from behind. You know that feeling? Or, for me, the last time I experienced it um, was uh, I went out to San Diego. And for a friend's, I forget where we were. We were out in San Diego. And I was there with my friend uh, Brandon Smith. And he convinced me to go in the ocean. He was going to surf. And, and I, don't, I don't play in the ocean. For a few few reasons. Um, one of them being sharks. Uh, I don't. I just don't like. It's like, ooh, this is where sharks like live and play and make little sharks. Like, I'm good. I'm, I'll sit on the beach and appreciate how beautiful it is and not get eaten by a shark. But he, he convinced because again I saw Jaws when I was too young. Uh, my mom likes scary movies. Jacked me up for life. Um, so I, I, I he talks to me into it. I go out where so we're in the water. And he says, and, you know, we're like, I mean, I'm like doing this to stay afloat, which is another thing, you know, like, what else in life do you have to do this? And uh, he says, hey, when we get done here, we should go by Seal Island and check out the seals. Now, I'm I'm fascinated by sharks. I'm terrified of them, but I'm, I'm fascinated by them. And, and so he says, let's go to Seal Island. Well, I know, I know what likes to snack on seals. And I know geographically where we're at on the planet, and I know what sharks live in that area, and I know what they like to eat, and I said, so they're, they see like great whites over there? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, they live around here. And I said, how far away did you say this seal island is? He's like, oh, it's just a mile up the beach. Is there like a net or laser system keeping the sharks from here? And he was like, well, no, and I mean, I was kind of laying. and that whole way, like, I'm just swimming as hard as I can, which isn't real good because I don't go in the water because I'm afraid of sharks, and the whole way in, I just felt like something, like, I felt like teeth were, like, nipping at the bottoms of my feet, you know, like, I had that feeling, or, you know, the same, you know, maybe walk, walking by yourself in the dark, but we went hunting this past weekend, and I was walking with my nephew, Alex, and we were, we were walking back from the stand, and I said, would you be pretty scared if I wasn't with you right now? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'd be pretty scared if you weren't with me. And, uh, you know, just having that feeling, something's about to jump out and grab you. And I can't imagine, I mean, that's all just silly stuff, but can you imagine, I mean, really, the fear of coming before this holy God, this holy God who said, listen, don't come this close, except for right now. Because if you come this close, you're going to die. But you need to come in to do this. Can you imagine? I mean, you want to get in, Get your work done and get out as quick as possible. Right? You want to do what's what's necessary, sacrifices for me, for my family, for the people, and get out and be done. You don't no one stayed in the Holy of Holies. Right? No one lived there. No one no one's comfortable there. You go in and you get out, right? And and so for these guys, that's how that's how they lived and, and just continued, continual making sacrifices. It's a bloody, is a bloody place. Um Back to chapter 5, that they're, but they're doing this, they're acting on behalf of man before God, okay? And they're supposed to be sympathetic that while the high priest is in there, that he's supposed to have a, a sympathetic mind toward his, people, toward his people, right? It says that he was chosen from among men to act on behalf of God, or on behalf of the people before God. That is a certain tribe out of Levi, that, or a certain tribe out of the Jews, <coughs> chosen to serve in this manner. But they're Jews, right? They're Jews serving Jews before God. And they're supposed to be sympathetic. And uh, interesting to, to study these, these words here a, a little bit. And just this idea of sympathy tied in what one of the verses we read earlier from chapter 2, where it says this about Jesus therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people is that the same idea is that this this mercifulness this this sympathy this identification with the people that the high priest who is one of them he's just, he's a Jew he's supposed to buy his i mean physical makeup being a Jew should have be sympathetic towards the people, but then also because of his own sinfulness, his own weaknesses. He should be sympathetic, which is much more than just like seeing somebody in a bad situation and feeling bad for them. The idea here is the word is more powerful than that. It's not just seeing where they are and feeling bad for them, but seeing where they are and then getting involved and helping them in that situation. Okay? And so for the high priest, that's, and, the, and the priesthood, that's what they were to do. Their command by God, being one of the Jews that should be sympathetic towards their brothers and serve on their behalf. But we know that what they were doing couldn't really help. There's two main reasons why what they were doing couldn't really help it never really atoned for anything, it never really satisfied anything it didn't satisfy God's wrath it didn't remove any sins one was because they themselves were sinners they were sinners offering on behalf of sinners and two is because what they were offering was bulls and goats and lambs right and we can we can turn over to chapter 9. chapter 10 where he says I got the wrong okay Okay, verse 11 but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and of calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? Right. So they were coming in with the blood of bulls and goats, ashes of a heifer, making all these sacrifices that in chapter 10 he says, listen, that they could never take away sin, right? Could never take it away. So these guys, one, they were sinful, and what they're offering was was enough. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that it was just, these are all shadows pointing to Christ. That Christ is the fulfillment of it. But it was just shadows and types and pictures. And it would, I mean, it doesn't take an Old Testament scholar to read through the Old Testament and see that these guys weren't sympathetic. They weren't sympathetic. In fact, the way that they served was so often scorned by the Lord that even that, that God raises up prophets to speak to the people by because the high priests were serving in such an unfaithful way that God hardly ever used a priest to, to speak through, that he raises up prophets. And in fact, a lot of times the prophets are warning the priests on how they're behaving. And it just becomes this, this corrupted system. This corrupted system, of, and, but, but a system that never was meant to save anybody but to point. So, back to uh, chapter 5. Verse 3. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes his honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, we have a great high priest. We have such a great high priest. And what he wants to do is for us to begin to compare and contrast these ideas of what was happening in Israel and what Christ has come and accomplished. Um, so the first thing is I want to look at is the faithfulness and the mercifulness of Jesus as our high priest. We read it in chapter 2 that Jesus was made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That Jesus is both merciful and faithful. Okay. The high priest on his best day. Could be. Maybe he could be sympathetic. Maybe he could be sympathetic towards the people. But he couldn't really do anything about it. He couldn't truly be merciful. And he wasn't faithful. But what we see from Jesus is that he's both merciful and faithful. But. Unlike the high priest. He has no sin. Right. And. And this is huge. The writer of Hebrews taps into this a lot, where he says that Jesus is made like us in every, in every respect. He points to that a few times. And I, don't, I remember I was in, I think I was in sixth or seventh grade, and John Smoltz uh, came and spoke at this big rally. Some of you all remember John Smoltz. Um, he was a really good picture for the Braves. Uh, I, I, I thought it was awesome. Um, he was a starting pitcher, then he became a relief pitcher, lots of surgeries, kept coming back. And, uh, well, anyway, he came to speak. And um, what he was talking about was uh, refraining from the use of drugs and alcohol and, um, you know, just kind of this positive motivational speak, speech for young people. And I remember me and the group of the, my friends that I was sitting with, and he said that that's kind of how he started. his His opening, his line, his opening line was, I've never smoked a cigarette, I've never drank a beer, and I've never done any drugs. And I remember we all looked at each other and we like, shh. And we didn't listen to anything else he had to say. Because in my, and this isn't a good example, it's a bad example, because in, in my mind, I thought, well, he can't relate to me. He, he doesn't know anything about my family, he doesn't know anything about my life. Like, why, you know, this guy's going to tell me how much better he is than me, and I, I didn't want to listen to it. And so I think sometimes that's a wrong, a wrong thought process that we can have when we think about Christ. And I have family that, that I love, but when they're challenged on why, you know, they claim to be Christians, but they live void of the, the power of godliness in their life, but they don't really pursue Christ, and you start talking to them about Jesus and they say, I mean, I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. sinner. I mean, Jesus didn't sin, but he's God. So let's put him over here in this other category. Yeah, I mean Jesus is perfect, but you know, he God has got him. This is, they separate themselves from him. And I think that's kind of that can sneak into our thinking when in fact the writer Peter says, No, listen, Jesus has become like us in every respect. Jesus really became one of us so that he could be our high priest. He really became everything that it means to be a human being. And and, and I think The human response that the writer of Hebrews prepares for is, yeah, but he doesn't know sin. He doesn't know sin. He doesn't know failure. He doesn't know what it's like to be me. The writer of Hebrews says, no, in every respect. And he's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He knows our temptation. He knows our weaknesses. He hasn't been subjected to our weaknesses and, and fallen to them, but he knows them fully. Because he's been tempted in every way as we are. But he's victorious over it. So that there is this identification where the high priest was supposed to be sympathetic. Jesus really can be not only sympathetic, but then can go further, enter into the situation and offer mercy. Because he's identified with it completely, but without failing. Um, i read you this quote. Does that make sense? Does that, that makes sense? Y'all with me? Let me read you this quote. Um, it's by this guy, B.F. Westcott. Um, and he died a long time ago, and so that makes... You should listen even more closely to what I'm about to say. B.F. Westcott. Sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend on the experience of sin, but on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin. Okay? So what we're saying is, listen can't say that falling to sin like that's necessary for this identification and he's saying listen it's, it's not about it's not about the act of sin it's about feeling the weight of the temptation to sin okay let me let me uh, mess myself up let me read it from the beginning again sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend on the experience of sin but on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity, he who falls yields before the last strain. Strength. Um, my boss, uh, and my pastor, he uses this to make that same point. He talks about a, a, a bodybuilder or a weightlifter, and he, and he points to. Have uh, you ever watched in the Olympics? Um, the power with the guys who got, I think it's called hang clean, where they got to take the weight, get it up to here, and then get it above their head and lock it out. Have you ever seen that? It's usually pretty entertaining because they're really big men and they're wearing like, uh, onesies, <laughs> uh, which, I mean, it's kind of like this joke that the little nerdy guys play and they're like, oh yeah, we want this competition. You guys come show us how strong you are. And this is what you got to wear. <laughs> You're cool with that? Okay they're going to wear the onesies. Um, yeah, so they go out there in their spandex onesies, and they get, you know, and it's just a crazy amount of weight. It's like, I mean, when is this ever going to be necessary in life? But, you know, they, and then I don't know. I don't know what the record is. they know what the record is? No. We just like the onesies. Okay. So let's say, let's say it's 500 pounds, just for lack of knowing how much. And let's say, okay, so there are these two guys. It comes down to, let's say it comes down to the American and, somebody from a country with a really long name, okay? And they're going at it and getting it up, and, you know, they're like 490, and they both do it. Rah, lock it out. You know, and then they drop it, the most impressive part, and they drop it, and it bounces a little bit. You know, like 495, and they both get it, right? And then 500, and the guy from the really long name country gets up there and oh, gets up to here, gets up there. and doesn't get it. Does, can't lock it out, drops it. I mean, he knows, he feels the weight of it, but not as much as when the next guy comes up, gets 500 to here, struggles, and gets it above his head and locks it out. He really knows what 500 pounds feels like, right? All right so what he's saying is, listen, you're saying that Christ can't identify with you because he hasn't given in to sin. And the reality is, it, it depends on what, what, he, what he really identifies with is this pressure that we're under to sin. And this pull on us to yield to sin. They say no one knows it better than Jesus, because Jesus felt the full weight of every single temptation, every single day of his life, and he always locked it out. He always felt the full weight. He came under it completely, but he never yielded. He's victorious. You know, we, you know, I get it up to my shin sometimes. I'm like, man, yeah, know, it's not funny, man. It's my weakness. Sorry, Um, right? Like we sometimes we give up so easy, and on our best days, I mean, it feels like, do I ever lock it out? You know, do I ever get it up? Do I can I ever fully come under it? Jesus did it every time. He says, "Listen, Jesus was made like us in every respect. He's fully human. He knows the weight and the pull of the sin that destroys us, but he he's victorious." Um. So he's able to be merciful because he's faithful, because of his faithfulness, because he never yields to sin. And he's always faithful to the Father as as our high priest is serving in this capacity that he can extend mercy, that he then can really get into our situation to help, right? But then it goes further because where the high priests are bringing in the blood of bulls and goats, And offering things that cannot take away human sin, that cannot satisfy divine wrath against our sinfulness. The picture here is that Jesus offers himself, we read it in chapter 9, right? He offers himself by the eternal spirit. The picture is, uh, let's read, There's just so much goodness. Um, Let's read again in uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay, so Jesus passes through the heavens, okay? He's passing through the heavens. And uh, different people are going to make different comments about what this looks like, and they try to enumerate out, like, well, the high priest would have to pass through the outer court, and then through, into the the holy place, and then into the most holy place. And so Jesus passed through like the atmosphere, and then outer space. I said atmosphere, funny, outer space, and then into like the abode of God, and that's Jesus passing through. And like this, that's the heavenly temple. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's something to it. I, I don't know. But what it what it is saying is that Jesus has gone. Ultimately, he's gone into the very presence of God, into the Holy of Holies, not made with hands, right? Not into a building or to a tent, but into the very presence of Yahweh himself, where the real mercy seat is. Um, and so he passes through. He blazes this trail for us by his death. Um, chapter 2 talks about this a lot, that through his death, he's he's blazing this trail into the presence of God. But when he goes, he offers his blood. He offers His perfect, spotless blood. Right? Which is then not not a picture, it's not a shadow, it's the fulfillment, and it satisfies God's wrath. Right? Chapter 2 again, we're... Um, chapter 2 and chapter 1. Go back over to chapter 1. We haven't read this yet. Oh, well, we read it during worship. Um, I'll start in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All right, so Christ comes in and he makes purification for sins by his own blood. Chapter 2 says it's the propitiation. He satisfies God's wrath. He purifies us from our sins. And then it says, what what does Christ do? in chapter 1 here. What does he do after he makes purification for sins? He sits down. It's interesting. Uh, to me, the, the the writer of Hebrews, this is how he he kind of always portrays it and pictures it, where he doesn't really go into Christ coming back, um, you know, through the resurrection and then ascending back to heaven. The writer of Hebrews just focuses on, he paints this picture of Christ going into the presence of God, the real Holy of Holies, making this perfect sacrifice, and then sitting down. And I think that's huge in significance is that, because remember, remember you know, we spent a lot time talking about sharks and darkness. And the, the high priest would go in and he'd make sacrifice. And what did he want to do? He wanted to get out of there, right? He wanted to get the covers back over his head. Right? Go in and get out. Go in and you're, he's not at home there. He's he's an alien and a stranger in a very holy place, and he doesn't stay. But Christ, when he comes in with his perfect sacrifice, as a perfect representative of us, because he was really made one of us, but because he's much more than us, because he's God, and because his sacrifice is perfect, and he doesn't have to make it for himself, he goes into the real holy of holies and the presence of God. And he's right at home, and he makes a sacrifice. It's acceptable, and he doesn't have to leave. He's at home there, and he sits down. In fact, the mercy seat, which was a place of, which all of was a reminder of sin, now it becomes his throne, and he turns around and sits down. But actually, he does one other thing before he sits down. We sang about it this morning he tears the veil. Remember that? I was saying about it this morning, he tears the veil. That that actually physically happened in Israel, right? Remember? I mean, the sun goes black, dead people are getting out of graves. This is these are these are the things that don't get preached at Easter, right? Like all those things start to happen and the but the one thing we might remember to mention is the veil being torn. Right? Cuz <clears throat> here's the picture. Remember? I hope, I hope. everything is about separation everything for Israel is about separation Gentiles you're out there Jews you're Jewish women you're a little bit closer Jewish men you're a little bit closer Levi you can come this close but stay there priest you can come a little bit closer stay there high priest once a year you better get in and get out and Jesus goes in makes the perfect sacrifice on his way in rips the veil, sits down. Now the mercy seat isn't a place of reminder of sin, but it's a place to receive grace and mercy. And it becomes a reminder. It should be a daily reminder of God's grace that he satisfied our sin, that he satisfied God's wrath towards our sin. There's no longer a place of fear. In fact, Jesus says now in chapter four, now come boldly. Don't, Don't stay off, Gentiles. Come boldly. Jewish women, come boldly. Men, come boldly. Levi, Dan, Reuben, other tribes, come boldly. All of y'all, come boldly through Christ. There's no more separation the veil's torn. Just come and receive grace and mercy. Is there a reminder of sin? Absolutely. In fact, I'd say that Hebrews gives some of the
1: strictest,
0: scariest warnings about sin. Right? And there's a place for discipline. And my daughter's about to receive it, right? On her? Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> it's my kid. I can make a do it. Uh, right? There's a place for discipline in the life of the believer. And God warns us about our sin. And there's, there's a reminder of sin, but only as it serves our sanctification to push us in further into the presence of Christ, to draw us. Jesus has come. Come boldly to receive grace and mercy, to find strength for your time of temptation and time of need. Come boldly. Come boldly. What an awesome picture. When Christ fulfills these shadows, it changes everything. The veil is torn. The way is made open. Once and for all, no no longer do they offer continuously as a reminder of sin, but the way has been made open. So, uh, something Adam said, I think it redirected some of my thoughts, and uh, I wanted to tag this on. It, I was, It's was real similar, I think, to, uh, I was listening to a Piper sermon a few weeks ago. Um, Adam was talking about, it, just on the tail end, of talking about the high priesthood. And he was, he was mentioning about, I mean, emboldening, that it should embolden us to share the gospel. And, in. Our responsibility as the church to take the gospel. And because uh, very much in the Old Testament, the whole system, you know, what we briefly talked about, is very much a, a come and see religion. That's the way uh, John Piper phrased it. He said, This is a come see religion. Here's the temple, it's right here. Here are the priests, they're busy at work. Come and see, come check it out, right? You know, the, I remember, was the Queen of Sheba, the Solomon's Day, she's fascinated by it all. She comes and sees, right, that the Ethiopian eunuch came to see what's happening here, right? And and God was reaching out, but it was was very much centralized. And what's fascinating to me, and and even I think Charles Church is just an awesome example of this, is that in the New Testament, we don't have, it's not about buildings and it's not about, Types of clothing and rites and rituals. You don't see them in the Testament. Everything is just stripped down. Stripped down. And there's a freedom there, right? That if if you want to have church in a really pretty big building and everyone dresses a certain way and look look your best for the king on Sunday. If that you want to have that mentality, you can serve Jesus with that mentality, right? It's not <coughs> forbidden in Scripture. If you want to meet in a rec center and right now I have mud. Mustard and, I'm pretty sure, dough urine on my jeans. I'm, I'm hoping that's what I'm smelling, that it's, I sprayed it on to try to attack, attract a buck, but apparently uh, it likes Chris better than me. Um, Chris killed a buck, I think. that's what I'm saying. Uh, anyway,
1: then that's fine.
0: That's not, that's not forbidden. It's just stripped down. Why? Because we're supposed to be very mobile. We're supposed to be mobile. We're not supposed to get tied to anything here and now anymore right everything for them was physical and it was here and now come see it if you want and for us it's not about here and now it's about getting the gospel out so that we're mobile right and so as we see this picture change Christ tears the veil not only is he calling us into a daily intimate relationship with himself to receive this grace and this mercy but he's saying "Listen, it's not about here anymore so just go go Take this message. Take this hope. Explain to people what Christ has accomplished. Tell them that they don't have to stand far off and look over people's heads to even see the temple. They can come right in the presence of God through Christ. That's our gospel. That's our that's our hope. And, and so, you know, for me as, as, and, and for you as a, as a believer, I, I, my, I think that, that my prayer would be that it has the devir- desired effect that Jesus says it should here in the scriptures, that because of this, let me flip back over. Let me read verse 14 again and make two more statements. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Here it is. Let us hold fast our confession. Let's, let's be faithful. Let's hold fast to this. Let's, let's remain firm in this call. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. And the words, the, in the original language, the drawing near is it's just, it's the idea of continual action. Draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then let's, let's take that message. Let's do that daily. Let's draw near. Because it's not, it's not only an invitation, it is a command, right? I mean, it's beautiful enough to think about it that it's open and it's available, and it's an invitation to come, but it's not in that kind of language. It's a, it's, it's a command. We need to go. We need to go. We need to go to our God. And I'll say this. For the Jews, do you remember? Okay. Um, on my mind thinks in the Passion of the Christ now, but. You know, we had that scene in that movie, if, you, if you're familiar with the, the temple rips and the, the high priest is in there, and he's kind of just, he knows that he's messed up. But, I mean, think about this. What did the, because the, the temple wasn't destroyed for another maybe 40 years or so, what do you think the Jews did to that veil? That ripped They sewed it up, didn't they? They sewed it up. You know what they said? In their self-righteous religion, they said, uh-uh. We, we like the separation, and their self righteousness. They said, "No, sew it back up. We don't want him. And as I mean, to me, uh, just I mean, gut wrenching to think about. But that's what they did. They said, "I mean, all this, all this was pointing to Christ, who would make the way for them to come into His presence. And when it was open, they said no to it. Shut the curtains back. So I mean." There's, there's a real warning to people who, who, self, who, who try to approach Christ in their own self-righteousness. There's a warning there. But I think there's even a warning there for the believers. And that's a warning that, that the Lord, I think, has wrought in my own life. Because there's a lot of times when, not in that, not in that mentality, but I'll be convicted of my sin. God will warn me. And he'll show me my sin. But then His command is, will come and receive grace and mercy. But in my own false sense of humility, I'll say, I, I feel too dirty to go in there. I feel too dirty. I feel like ah, I've messed up. I, I, need to, I need to stay out here and beat myself up. Maybe, you know, I know it's a broken system, but maybe I can find a rusty old knife that they used to kill these animals with. And I'll, I'll make some sort of sacrifice. I'll, I'll just stay out here and beat myself up. And, and, and I
1: shut the veil in my
0: life. And I don't approach God and just receive his grace and mercy like I need to to move on. I, and I stay out in that outer court in some self-pity, which is really just my self-righteous pride. When in reality, I need to drop the knife in humility enter through there. Because I know that that's where I'll receive grace and mercy. That I don't have the right to stay outside. I don't have the right. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. I'll pray for us and then Maybe a question Or comments Lord Jesus love you God thank you so much Thank you that you're our great high priest God thank you For making a way God I thank you for Taking the time and being So patient with Sinful humanity And and setting up Israel And and making them a nation And setting up their religion And Tents and temples and priests And goats I thank you for doing all that And being patient And storing up wrath So that we could understand Christ better And I pray that we would understand you better today Lord And I pray that that understanding Would drive us to humility And I pray that it would drive us to A a confidence to draw near to you And I pray that because of that We would hold fast That we would be a people who are faithful to the end And that in our faithfulness, we would take the gospel to our families and friends and community and and to the world. And I thank you for a church that um, is is setting itself on that foundation so that it can be mobile and it can be always reaching out with the gospel. Love you in Christ's name. Amen. Any thoughts or questions?